Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on October 9th, 2022. I want to start by updating a parable of Jesus. I've stayed true, I think, to the meaning. So listen carefully to this. A man worked hard, and was promoted within the company to a position of leadership as a high-level manager. He maxed out his 401k, and he invested wisely in real estate and a variety of growing companies. At the very height of the market, he sold out, and he retired early to buy a mansion, a mountain home, a sports car, and a boat ready to live a life of luxury, fine restaurants, and expensive travel. As he drove his new Tesla to his new mansion, he had a massive heart attack and died. Who got what he worked for? That, Jesus said, is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves but aren't rich towards God. Now, that's an updated version of a powerful parable that we're about to read of Jesus. I want you to understand that Jesus, when he taught, he didn't just major on philosophy or theology or doctrines or beliefs. He spoke about everyday issues that you and I still deal with, things like money and retirement and lifestyle and generosity and life goals and the poor. It was not all just what to believe. But he taught us what to believe to show us how to live. So he didn't just give us head knowledge. It was very practical. This is how I want you to live. And today, we're going to see what Jesus teaches about our attitudes and our actions with money. Our passage is Luke 12, 13 through 34. You'll notice that it's in answer to a question that Jesus received from the crowd Um, basically a request. Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide an inheritance with me. And Jesus answered, I'm I'm not going to judge on that matter. But instead, let me teach you the bigger picture, your attitudes towards life and money. And we're 2,000 years later, but the issues are still exactly the same. Followers of Jesus need to know what do we think about life? What do we think about money? What are the proper attitudes and actions with our money. So our passage is Luke 12, verse 13 through 34. Let's stand together and we're going to read this. Luke 12, 13, and this is how it reads. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you can, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be seated. And I really want us to know this passage and to understand what Jesus is teaching. So I want you to think about these things. How is it that we're supposed to look at money? And I want to share with you five things just in this passage alone that Jesus taught us on money. I'm going to give you two do nots. Don't do this and don't do this. And then three, do this, do this, and do this as Jesus gave them to us And the first thing Jesus said, and we have to be careful of this, especially in today's world, was don't let greed get you. The parable is a strong one, and it's pointed directly at us. For this is more or less the modern American dream. Work hard, get rich, and then enjoy life. And Jesus said, if that is your dream, if that is your goal, if that's what you want out of life, then you're in danger of giving in to greed. And so he used some very strong words. Watch out. Be on your guard against greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's not how much you get, how much you make, how much you keep. The love of money will destroy us. I'm going to give you, and and using the words in this song just reminded me again that, hey, I'm old. If you're much younger than me, you won't recognize this group. You won't know these words. I tried them on my daughter, and she gave me just an absolute blank look. Never heard that song before. I tried them on our guitarist. He did the same thing. But it was in high school when this song came out. I know. 1973, I was in high school. It's old. Do you remember a group called the OJs? And the song is called For the Love of Money. And it's right in line, some of the words, with what Jesus said. Listen to these words, warning about money, especially the love of money. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother. For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. 
For the love of money, people can't even walk the street because they never know who in the world they're going to meet for that lean, mean, mean, green, almighty dollar. For the love of money, people will lie. Lord, they will cheat. For the love of money, people don't care who they hurt or beat. For the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body. For a small piece of paper, it carries a lot of weight. Call it lean, mean, mean, green. Almighty dollar. A strong warning from the OJs that the love of money will lead you to do things you never thought you would and to be people you never thought you would be. Now understand, money itself is not evil, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil in the world. It will consume you if you let it. As Jesus asked in another place, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Many things are far more important than money. Integrity, self-respect, family, faith, friends, honesty, and eternity. If your major life goals, this is what I want out of life, is money-related, then you are in danger of letting greed get you. And you're in danger of losing your integrity, your honesty, your faith, and even your eternity. So the first thing Jesus said is, don't let greed get you. And then he went on to say the second thing, and that is, don't worry. Do not worry, Jesus said, about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them and how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, could add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So I want you to understand something about worry. It really comes down to a choice. You either worry or you trust God. If you trust God, then you don't have to worry If you worry, it's because you're not trusting God enough to take care of you. And I want to tell you, and I know you understand this, but we need to be told remindedly that we can trust God to take better care of us than our mom, our dad, our spouse, our children, President Biden, our money manager, Dave Ramsey, or even, maybe I should say, especially than yourself. Because worry doesn't help a bit. As a matter of fact, Jesus asked, does worrying add anything to your life? Doctors were more likely to tell you worrying will subtract from your life as it adds tensions and pressures to our life and stress. So Jesus said, you've got a choice. You can do one of two things. You can trust God. He's going to take care of things. and I'm okay. Or you can worry. Now, apparently, I was in a musical frame of mind when I wrote this sermon. So maybe you remember these words from Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. Listen to this paragraph in there. When you worry, let me back up. In every life, we have some trouble. But when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. We need more than a catchy tune and some good words 
to do that, we need to learn to trust God. And yes, I'm talking about our money. I'm talking about our retirement. I'm talking about our health. I'm talking about our family. I'm talking about our children. I'm talking about all that God has given us. We learn to trust Him. He will take care of things. And then we don't have to worry. Oh, we can pray. We can work. We can do what God's called us to do. But if we trust Him, He will take care of us. Then we don't have to worry. So then after the two don'ts, we come to the do's. So after don't let greed get you and don't worry, then he comes to the do's. And the first one is seek God first. And this is the basic agreement Jesus makes with us. Seek me first and I will give you what you need. Seek me first and I will take care of you. Seek me first, and nothing will happen to you unless I allow it, and I will allow those things that are best for you. So seek me, and I will take care of you. Now, be careful with that. Don't take it out of context and say, seek God, and he will make you healthy and wealthy. That's not a biblical concept. It is, though, seek me first, and I will take care of you. I will watch over you. I will be with you. You will not walk alone. Everything you go through, I will be with you. Seek me, and I will take care of you. Maybe you remember these words. It's my favorite musical from Fiddler on the Roof. Tevya the Dairyman said, Lord, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. What would have been so terrible if I had had a small fortune? If... I were a rich man. And I was really tempted to sing it, but I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. Because then I'd have to do the crazy motions and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to do that. The truth is, if we seek God first, then we can trust Him to give us neither more nor less than we need to be the best we can be. Tevye would not have been as good a man if he had had a small fortune. Many godly men wouldn't be as godly with the pressures, temptations, and challenges of extreme wealth. So seek him first, and we can trust him to take care of us. Some of us will be rich. Most of us will be given just enough. But seek him, and we can be content with whatever he gave us. My mother-in-law, who has since gone home to be with the Lord, used a word often. When asked if she had money to take care of needs, her answer was always, I have enough. I have enough. Do you have everything you need? I have enough. Do you have everything you want? I have enough. There was a contentment about her. She had gone through the normal ups and downs of life. Her husband, my father-in-law, for a while had, had been never wealthy, but a pretty well-to-do businessman. He lost most of that business over the years, and they just had enough. But whether they were rich or whether they were poor, they were content because they lived a life of seeking God, and he gave them everything they needed. So do seek God first. And the second do is be generous. Disciples of Jesus 
And understand this, because this is a big part of who we are as people and as a church. Disciples of Jesus are generous to the poor. It is a mark of true faith and discipleship that you care about other people. If you're not moved to compassion for the poor, the homeless, and the sick, whether in our country or in abroad, then you're really not much of a disciple. Because disciples of Jesus care about people Jesus cares for. Did you catch the words? Listen to them carefully in, in verse 33. Jesus told his disciples, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Now listen, because we often think of that incorrectly, so look at Jesus' words. It's not when you have a little bit of money extra, help the poor. It was sell your possessions and give to the poor. This is not just when you have an abundance that you help the poor. If you have to sell things to help others, then sell things. But by all means, no matter what you do, because it's a mark of real discipleship in Jesus, care about others who have less than you, whoever they are. Now, you might be able to overlook just one verse. It wouldn't be good biblical interpretation if you did. But understand, this is not just one verse Luke's gospel emphasized that from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right on up to the end, that Jesus highly emphasized and cared for the poor. Even before he began publicly preaching, John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, when, when his, his hearers were, it says, cut to the heart, and they asked John, we want to repent. What does that mean? What does that look like? What we should do? Jesus said this, if you have two shirts, give one to a shirtless man. Anybody here have less than two shirts? Y'all have at least two shirts? Everybody have at least two shirts? Because I'm prepared to give you one, and you probably don't want me to do that in church. I'm prepared to give you one if, if that's all you have, because God is blessed with many more than, than, than two shirts. Understand what Jesus is saying. If you have two shirts, you have enough to help other people. John the Baptist, if you have two, give away one to someone who has none. It's a matter of discipleship. It's not just a luxury when I have extra that I will give away some. If you have two, give away one to someone who has none. If you have to sell something to be able to help someone else, sell something to be able to help someone, it's a part of who we are. In Luke 4, Jesus proclaimed that he was anointed to preach good news to the poor. In Luke 6, Jesus said, and we often spiritualize it, but the words he used are this, blessed are the poor and woe are the rich. In Luke 9, Jesus fed 5,000 hungry people. In Luke 10, he made the hero of what I believe is his greatest parable, a Samaritan who helped a poor and helpless man. And throughout the book, constantly, Luke tells us that Jesus focused on the poor, the hurting, the sick, the outcast, the demonic, the mentally ill, and the grieving. And if we are true disciples of, followers of, people who believe in Jesus, we will do the same. So you can tell a real disciple of Jesus. Or you can tell a real church made up of disciples by how they help the poor with their money and their time. 
Because that's an absolute mark of people who follow Jesus, that we care about others. And I've been so proud of our church because that is what we do here at Avondale Baptist Church. A couple of weeks ago, on, on Project Connect Day, we helped 110 homeless people. They came to our church. We cooperated with the city of Avondale and others. They got food. They got backpacks full of all kinds of things that they might need. They got water. They got lunch. They got free haircuts. They got free showers. We treated them something special because that's a mark of what Christian people do. We helped last Wednesday 108 families in our monthly food distribution. We give away brown bag lunches every business day to people in our neighborhood who come by, usually 40 or 50 of them per day. We give free medical care and medicines on Monday. And this week, starting on Wednesday at 11 o'clock, we're working with an organization called Barbecue Mission to give a hot barbecue meal to anyone who is hungry. Now, they say the food is really good. As as the pastor, I kind of feel an obligation to taste test it to make sure that we're going to be giving away real food. But out here in uh, the east parking lot, Barbecue Mission is going to come set up. I think it's um, pulled pork, um, homemade um, potato salad, and some other things to go this week to anybody that comes by. This organization does it different places in the valley. They were looking for a church in the Southwest Valley that that had a reputation of helping people. And so they came to us. I didn't even have to go to them. They came to us and said, could we do this in your church parking lot every Wednesday starting October 12th? See, this is what Christian people do. I love, by the way, their, their tagline, serving Jesus one meal at a time. They do it downtown near the cast shelter down there once a week. And they say it's really cool because um, they'll get people in line. They'll get a homeless man who looks and smells like a homeless man. And the next person in line will be a lawyer who works downtown in a three-piece suit and comes and says, hey, I smelled the food. How much does this cost? And they say it's free. We're doing it because we love Jesus and we love people. That's the mark of disciples of Jesus. They are generous with their time and with their money. And then the final thing Jesus taught, deposit your treasure in heaven rather than on earth. Now, understand you have at least, as believers in Jesus, two accounts. One is a bank account in which you put your cash and your paychecks. The more important one is the account in heaven where you put your eternal treasure. If you focus on the first, you are in danger of being greedy and you will end up with much to worry about. But if you store up treasure in heaven, Jesus said, you have an account which won't be hurt by war, gas prices, inflation, thieves, con artists, and taxes. So the question for us as believers, how do we make deposits into my heavenly account? My bank, probably like yours, makes it really easy for me to to put money into my earthly account. Just take a picture of the check, sign it, and it's good. How do you put money in your heavenly account? How do you become rich towards God? Here's the main way, and this is what Jesus taught in this passage. Help other people. Give of your time 
and your money. Be generous in caring for other people. Get involved in a ministry and give generously to it that helps hurting people. Help hurting people directly. It may hurt your earthly bank account, but that's okay because it's deposit in your eternal account. So deposit treasure in heaven rather than on earth. Number two, serve God in his kingdom. Do everything you can to make your church stronger. Give generously, serve willingly, pray unceasingly, care deeply, go beyond the pew to make sure that God's work and not just your work is prospering. And tell people about Jesus. I don't know how bank accounts work in heaven, but the greatest treasure in heaven that I know of will be seeing people that I've had at least a part in telling them about Jesus. Knowing that they are there. Now, I don't say people. God does. Church doesn't say people. Jesus does. But seeing people in heaven that I know I had at least a hand in telling them about Jesus, pointing them in the right direction, praying for them, that will be great treasure. I had a tragedy this week, and I'm tired of these kinds of tragedies. One of our graduates of our basketball league, 19-year-old Joshua Fletcher, was shot and killed two weeks ago. That's the fourth young man in our community related to us who has been shot and killed. We think of violence as elsewhere, but the elsewhere gets the big news, you know, when a bunch of people are shot. Here in the Phoenix area, it's one after one after one, and it hardly even makes the news, but it's real. And so I had to preach the funeral for Joshua Fletcher, but here's the good news. Thanks to our basketball league and our ministry and our coaches and our referees and others that worked in that lead league several years ago when I gave the invitation during the, the basketball award assembly to come forward and receive Jesus, Joshua Fletcher was one of them. And so he's going to be in heaven thanks to people like those in our church and our basketball league, and that will be an incredible treasure for me. Now, I told his family because Joshua loved basketball. That's one of the reasons why he, 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 lo he loved participating here because um, he loved basketball. And for at least two or three years, his mom said, man, basketball was his life. I had to tell him, I don't know if there's going to be basketball in heaven. Anybody find that in the Bible? Is there going to be basketball in heaven? I found the Raiders in the Bible. There's going to be football in, in heaven. But, but Kevin found the Chiefs there too, so I'm a little worried about uh, tomorrow night. Um, but, but, but I don't know what sports are going to be in heaven. But if there's basketball, I'll probably meet Joshua on the basketball court, and I will no longer be a 64-year-old man. I will be in the prime of life, and he and I will play. He will be there. I'm kind of making fun of it. But he will be there as our treasure because we cared enough about the people in our community to engage young people who are not otherwise involved in church. And that will be treasure. And you will be the treasures for others who told you about Jesus, who brought you to Sunday school, who shared the faith with you, who preached to you, who cared for you, who loved you, who helped you. You will be someone else's treasure. So yes, we need an earthly account because we have bills to pay. But far more important than our earthly account is our heavenly account. 
doing things that matter for eternity rather than just doing things that matter for today. So what now? I'm going to give you two things to do. They flow from each other. Here's the first thing I want you to do. Think hard and decide what you want out of this life and out of eternity. I mean, what's your goal? Ultimately, if I had to boil it down to one thing, this is it. Not my whole bucket list. Not, not the 50 things I want to do before I die. But what's your ultimate goal? If it's money, enjoyment, fun related, then you're in danger of giving in to greed and looking only at yourself. So you can't do anything about your life's goals and your attitudes until you know what your goals are. What do you want out of life and eternity? Nail that down. It helps if you write it down or at least put it into words, not just a vague feeling. What do you want out of life and eternity? That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, seek me first. I want to be a real disciple of Jesus. I want to go to heaven and have others go there with me. I want to do exactly what God wants me to do. There's different ways of saying it, but for you, what is your goal? What do you want out of life? Nail that down and then do those things that build the eternal treasure. You see how they flow? You can't work towards your goal until you know what your goal is. What do you want? What do you really want? What are you aiming for? What's your target? And then do things that build towards that. Now, by the way, this is not just for young people at whatever age. If you are 8, 10, 16, 17, 18, 19, 22, 47, 64, 87, you still need to ask and answer that question. What is it I want out of life? Ultimately, what's my one goal? And then you can work towards it. But you can't work towards any goal until you know what your goal is. So what's your goal? And then you do the things that will contribute to that. And my hope and my prayer is that your goal maybe is what Jesus said. I will seek him first. That's more important to me than money. That's more important to me than accomplishment. That's more important to me than, than, than anything else. I will seek God first. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.